Welcome to the Hiring Chronicles. Whether you're watching or listening, we're thrilled you're here with Amy and myself. We're an independent podcast, no ties to smart recruiters or anyone else. So there's no corporate jargon, just real talk. And despite the rumours, we're not perfect. So please ignore our good looks and charm and take our advice at your own risk. And let's dive in. Welcome to the Hiring Chronicles. If Welcome. You're, if you're joining us for the first time, where can where can people find us, Amy, elsewhere? They can find us on all of the socials, LinkedIn, Instagram, soon to be TikTok that's coming up. Maybe there's a TikTok channel going, but we'll see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cautious. <laughs> Who have we got on in this chapter? Well, if you work in the world of recruitment and TA, you've probably come across Dominic Joyce before. He's got... I think about 42,000 followers on LinkedIn, but he's he's got an opinion. And I think on our show, we want people with real opinions. So like he, opinions. He, yeah, <laughs> he says it how it is. Um, he's, he's, he's given a, a storyline about his journey through weight loss and the impact of becoming healthier and the impact that's had on his life personally, professionally. Might touch a little bit on that. He's worked at some major brands like HSBC, Virgin Media. And I, I think if you consider he's hired social workers through to bankers, there's yeah. probably <laughs> like so much he can tell about the differences and the nuances with each of those industries and everything in between that we're going to have an interesting conversation today, let alone he's got ideas around how TA and recruitment links to relationships. We're going to talk about that. So it's, it's going to be an interesting it's one. There's going to be so. lots of stories that we're going to hear today. <laughs> yeah. So well, welcome to the show, Dom. Welcome. Uh, morning both. Thank you. For, or morning, afternoon both. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Af- yeah. Afternoon. I think we're on now. Fourth coffee, I believe. Coffee number four. Yeah. Fourth coffee and an, an espresso to start the day. Am I right? Yeah. Double espresso to start the day. So oh, double down. espresso. Always start on a double. And then I think now I've got a bougie caramel oat flat white because... Why, why the hell not? It sounds very bougie. <laughs> a caramel oat flat white. I think the first time I heard bougie was like on The Apprentice. And I was like, what is bougie? <laughs> I'm just getting old. I'm not I'm not down with the kids. Uh, Apprentice is one of those ones where I used to watch it religiously. And yeah. now it's just, it's literally Love Island suits. It is, isn't it? Like the, the way... Yeah. The way it's just run, it's, it's not like business at all anymore. I used to think, I'm going to be on The Apprentice one day. And now I just... I couldn't think of anything worse. I applied years ago for it and um, had a phone call and didn't get it. And I was like, you know, am I too old now? And I saw the current crop this year and I was like, bloody hell. That was, <laughs> was like, the luckiest game. I, I, I was like, yeah, they're all still wet behind the ears. They're just, you know, they've got no idea about life. They just go on their followers that they've got on socials and they just throw a cheesy little sales line there. Like I'm the big alpha or, you know, it's just, yeah, it's, it's more cringe than Love Island, I'd say. Fun fact, my first job was working in a restaurant i can't remember her name i think it was a brother or sister but they owned a a cafe in the little town that i lived in and they i think they were like finalists or they won the apprentice and i worked in their cafe as a dishwasher lady oh really that was my first job even the cafe is a bit glamorized now it used to be that little hole i don't know how we've got on the apprentice but like (laughs) talking about this but like it used to be that little hovel and now it looks like somewhere i'd actually go for a coffee and a bit of cake but i guess that's a good thing though (laughs) but let's get off the apprentice let's 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 talk more about dom so dom i i i won't give your full story away but you've not always been 
in recruiting. It'd be great just to hear you, about your journey from where you began, early experiences in the world of work through to where you are and what you currently focused on. Sure. Do you want to start with leaving school? Is that let's go. Point? Let's go from leaving school. So left school at 16. I was actually quite smart at school, believe it or not. Um, just didn't really see direction there. I was called um, aggressive at school, was put in different sessions because of my aggression, which I think now I channel into sarcasm and bluntness rather than being passive aggressive. But I was smart, but just, I think, you know, like a, like a mad genius, I was just misunderstood. Um, mm. Left school at 16, went to the world of work and just, I found money. I think I always use the phrase of you've either got to earn or learn. Ideally both. If you're doing neither, get out. I thought with school, there was nothing really there for me. So like any kid that's 16 to 19, you dabble in retail, leisure, hospitality. So I worked in a few closed stores, went to phones for you, which was like the adverts that you probably remember. But, you know, Did was, you have to do like the phones for you? <laughs> yeah, like, phones for you. It's it. it. almost like ingrained in you in training camp. That was um, smooth. That was yeah, that was smooth. You never forget it's like riding the bike, and just it was old school sales. It was like the wild wild west before MPS came in and actually caring about the customer. It was just you know you were taught to because you grab someone's phone out of their hands and walk to your desk to get them sat down. Real old school sales tactics. Wow. And, Aggre was, aggressive as well so it suited you 100 percent, yeah I was, just, I was there just literally like giving their tie give me your phone um, and i did really well with sales i was always i'm always good with people i like the sort of the target environment or having something to work towards so phone sales worked really well for me phones here of course you know was destined to fail for one or two very many reasons but went to car phone a bit more structured there went to a management role enjoyed managing people and then Around that time, my mum passed away, and it kind of hit a bit of a sort of plateau in terms of, I think I was, at the time, kind of numb to what I felt and how I felt and what I wanted. And I think, like, 36-year-old me would have told 19-year-old me, just, you know, be thankful for where you are and what you've got. But instead, it was the fight-or-flight response. And I kind of just left and went to London. I thought, you know, opportunities in the city, people will come see me. We'll go out drinking out, you know, in, in funky Buddha and stuff and just, you know, come out white girl wasted for every night. And no one ever came down and saw me. And I was by myself for quite a long time in London where I kind of learned to be alone and be happy being alone in my own sort of, um, you know, own space. But I think I then kind of bounced through the jobs buffet, as I call it. I tried gym sales. I tried um, <sighs> customer service. I tried all manner of different jobs. And I think each of them, what I did subconsciously was I took with me things that I liked that I thought I enjoy people. I enjoy the consultative side of it. I hate cold calling, you know. I think now if I ever left recruitment, I wouldn't do cold calling or business development. I'd, I'd rather kiss a piranha than do that. It's that much, <laughs> I like, don't that blame you. Disdain for it. Um, but I think, you know, got to 26, the family friend was like, you're good with people, come and do recruitment. And I got burned quite early in my career at Phones View. Everyone kind of left there to go into recruitment. That was the next step of getting good money and commission. And I went there at 18, fresh-faced, you know, and just got chewed up and spat out because I wasn't ready, wasn't mature enough. But at 26, I was like, right, I've seen a bit of the world, had a bit of pain, a bit of struggle, earned some money, and I know what I want from life. And started in recruitment social workers, which for the job they do, which is a rewarding job, they're greedy bastards. They really are. <laughs> 
In what uh, way? What, what would you say? I need, I need to tell my wife this sentence. Oh, yes, actually. <laughs> you have a social worker? My wife's a social worker, yeah. <laughs> Give me the phone, i tell her now, she's really. Um, oh, she's going to tune in. I can't wait. So it was a, a lot of it's contract-based and it's local authorities. So you'd have, say, like in London, you'd have someone that lives in the borough of Barnet and they work in, you know, um, you know Merton and they'd be on £36 an hour. And they would then leave their job in Merton on £36 an hour to go to Dagenham Redbridge on £37 an hour. And it's like, you do know that you're going across the other side of London for a pound an hour more, right? <laughs> and it was just, they didn't sort of seem to compute that. And it was, um, again, not all of them, but the amount of times you lost people to kind of a pound an hour more to go like two hours each way per day, you're just like, and again, the role was, it made you good with candidates because the roles were always there, but the candidates weren't. So you had to work a lot on basically then also speaking candidates to companies you weren't involved with, authorities. It was, you know, so you learned a lot about approach, you know, conduct, how you build relationships there with both candidate and client. And I enjoyed it for three years, made a fair bit of money, but it was just very, you know, there was nowhere to kind of really go in it. You hire social workers and that's kind of it. So went to Reed, worked there for six months. Yeah, did not like Reed. It's, def <laughs> it's definitely a face fit there. Um, you know, I... And that was some time ago, though, wasn't it? Like Many, many moons yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's probably a different world now. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I no it, comment then, no, all right. We all did right, want yeah. honest opinions. Yeah, all right, yeah. <laughs> you want honest, you're going to get it. Um, no, I, I just think it, was, it wasn't the right company for me. So given, of course, my nature and how I operate and how I am, it didn't probably fit with their their morals and ethics and their code of and so forth. So, and then went to internal, did a little bit of MSP and RPO as well. But I think preferred internal more. Started of course in HSBC, worked in some investment companies. My background is generally banking, finance, fintech, e-commerce. So I think that's kind of where I've built my skill set in TA. But you know, I've done these social workers, I've done bankers, I've done you know. Apart from pretty much a wind farm engineer or butcher and a baker and a candlestick maker, I'm pretty hard, much harder than most roles. There's still there. time. There's, There's still time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, there's obviously demand for it. I always thought about, you know, where are all these butchers at? Where do they come from? Where are they getting them from? Exactly. You know, they just hanging around farms and just like, hey, kid, you want a job? Like, come be a butcher. Yeah, where... Think about the skills that you might want to recruit for. for yeah, that how type do you hire role. butchers? Exactly. You just find kids with knives playing in the playgrounds. <laughs> you'd be a great butcher. <laughs> just carving meat in the corner yeah. of the playground. The kid has got like a done a kebab stand in the corner. Go. <laughs> you thought about a career being a butcher rather than working in a kebab shop? See? There's maybe a skill shortage there. I don't know. It could be, yeah. So obviously, where's you know, there's there's money to be made there. But um, so and yeah, progressed my career. I think you know when COVID hit, I was still a senior recruiter, and in my current role now, head of TA. Um, so I've kind of progressed along the way. Had to learn fast, scale up quick. You know, deal with some pain, some success, and yeah, I now use LinkedIn platform to kind of like educate people on things like careers, CVs, how to work ethically as a candidate, things recruiters do and should do and shouldn't do. Talk about things like onboarding, candidate experience, and just I guess talk about the things that people probably think about but don't want to say. Or I've got no problem at all calling that BS if someone's just you know putting posts up for Valentine's and metrics and think it's crap, I'll just say, you're just talking out your ass. In a more PC way, of course. Like, mm. you know, like, one duff declare you are talking wrong rather than saying <laughs> bullshit, mate. So that's kind of where I've got to today. Where along your career did you 
realized that you wanted to start kind of getting on socials in terms of like LinkedIn and like was there like a a pivotal point where you thought actually I might just dabble into this world because I would assume you never thought that you were going to get as big as you are right now like with your massive following that you've got but was there a certain point where you thought oh I want to give that a go And, and before you answer that we should probably put some context around it when Dom does a post it's not like he gets 40 or 50 likes yeah like over a thousand people comment and like and like such an impact such a big like impact to the audience yet you didn't begin like that so no yeah just just sort of give us an idea as to how that's begun yeah i mean i was always promised that i'd never post any sort of thirst trap selfies to get likes because you know, this is a face of radio. This is kind of why podcast suits me. Um, <laughs> this yeah. this is video. Dom. It's a video. Dom, yeah. Right? <laughs> if, you, if you're watching this, just yeah, just put your phone down. <laughs> just Stop just it. minimize the screen. No. Um, I think so. I've been on LinkedIn for 12 years now, according to my profile. Use it as a business analyst at Virgin Media. But I think until I started working in the, I used it in recruitment in general. Like even working as social workers, like you know, there's being different outside the box thinking a bit more you know niche like obviously your partner know like a, a mash social worker is mash is a, a acronym for all because it is now it's still children but i just put a bowl of mash up there and just kind of was, was creative with that and just had a bit of fun with it so i think i took myself you know less seriously i posted it with my own humor and tone because i think i was trying to relate it to personal you know experiences or we'll try and make it you know analogous to people and yes, of course, a gif or a meme always helps. Like, who doesn't love a gif or a meme? You know, I did a post recently about what different roles in TA are, agency, MSP, RPO, and internal. And I used a Spider-Man, you know, the old Spider-Man three-pointing thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like, I bloody love it. I GIF. love that one. Yeah. It's, that, yeah. The, yeah, it's, like, it's, it's iconic amazing. and everyone yeah, can relate yeah. to it. But again, people are like, oh, I didn't know what they did and what they did. But the meme definitely helped, again, sort of get what I was trying to point out, as in they're not the same, they're different. And that kind of, again, helps. So I think... It kind of spiked in COVID because, like myself, I was affected by furloughs and I thought, well, there's a lot of people that are scared right, right now. They have no idea what's going on about their career. I just thought they might need some friendly advice as impartial, it's free of charge, where they can take it or leave it. And it was always a case of, look, this is free. They don't like it. I don't care. Mm. <laughs> like, it's coming from a good place. It's coming from, you know, and it was, again, a bit of, like, blunt truths. You've got to swallow your medicine. Like, it's not just an ATS that's rejecting you. Your CV's crap. I'll tell you why it's crap. And I mean it coming from a good place because I want you to get the job. Like any recruiter, when you apply to a job, we want you to get it. No one takes pride in rejecting somebody. But that's not a lie. Um, if you're applying to say, a job as like head of IT and you work at Morrison's Fish Counter, I would take pride in rejecting you. Because <laughs> that is being audacious rather than ambitious. It's but, so uh, true though, because like, I think everyone, well, not everyone, but most people would think like being a recruiter they just reject people that is easy to do. But I remember being back in the day, like actually being really worried about calling people and saying, I'm really sorry, you don't have a job. Like that was before you would, I guess, kind of have automated emails and stuff. But mm. you have to call somebody and say that you don't have that job that they maybe have been relying on for a while or whatever. So it's, it's hard. There's, there's levels though, yeah. isn't there? Like, like you're saying, if you yeah. work on the fish counter, then it's easier. But someone you've got to know that's got skills, capability, mm. And you're just rejecting them as tough. Yeah. Yeah. And we all get like that recruiter spidey sense where you see a candidate, you think, oh, that's my golden eagle. They're going to get the job. And you almost like bit your house on them to get it. And they don't get it. You're always upset for them as what they are for themselves. You're like, John, sorry, you know, it didn't go well for you. And you almost want to kind of get it. And you treat every candidate fairly, but you kind of also know from your 
background of properly screening the candidates, getting the right brief with the managers. It's like like being seen blind date, like Silla Black. I'm their matchmaking candidates with, with managers. And when it comes off, it's a beautiful thing. When it doesn't come off, you're just like, they take someone else. You go, I can see it's not getting a second date here. It's going to end horribly. But you do what you can do because that's what you pay to do. And that kind of brings us on nicely to what we talked about in the introduction is you relate a lot of this to dating and some of the analogies that you've told us behind the scenes when we chatted to you. It'd be good to just build out as to how recruiting and dating align and perhaps any thoughts that you've got as to how what recruiters can do better and where they're going wrong and just give us a, your your top tips. Yeah, sure. Um you know, if you look at it in terms of like paradoxically, they are very similar because you've got datings like interviews. You've got the cliche that, you know, when you meet someone that you don't like, you always say, let's be friends. It's like <laughs> in recruitment, it's like, let's keep you on file. Let's get you in the talent pool. <laughs> yeah, oh, the talent pool. Yeah. Literally, it's just like, yeah, um, which you'll never see. It's like the abyss, isn't it? It's the talent pool abyss. <laughs> so I just think there's a lot of behaviors where like, you know, um, I used to date as well. And it's always like, you know, let's be friends. It's like, I'm not here to be your friend. I'm here to like, I'm not here to get the job. I'm here to get the job. Yeah, it's talent pulled. So, and just things like interviews or dates, you know, assessment centers like speed dating, and just you know, it's the the similar desire to be wanted in both aspects. Where you go on a date, you might not even like the person, but you want to be wanted still. It's that feeling of being wanted, and the irony is that we crave to be wanted by most people, but we don't always want the people that want us. So, I think you know, people also stay in jobs and in marriages relationships because of this comfortable complacency and there's a there's a, a video by um, chris williamson that's going online on socials there and it's basically says that you have to it's dangerous being in that place because you're not that uncomfortable that you want to get out of there but it's not going that great so you're just kind of like comfortably numb plodding yeah mm. yeah you're just plodding along and i think some people have been through trauma and they want to stay where they are and be comfortable and that's fine for them but if you ask a lot of people if they're satisfied in both their marriage relationship or their job off the record they probably say no but it's then what they're going to do about it because we always fear change the most. And I think that for me is kind of the trigger there. And that's why, as you mentioned our, our chat, I'm writing a book about it because we're hoping that it will help people see the red flags, spot the signposts, and hopefully subconsciously know what's going on in their life, whether it's careers or relationships. And the goal is to help them change that mundane, stagnant mm. working environment. You know, if they leave their partners, that's fine. Just don't put me on the, on the reason why they got divorced because of my book. Um, <laughs> you can imagine that sign. Buy this book and divorce your partner. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So, yeah, change your career, but also just sack off your partner as well. Um, but could be onto a winner, though. I don't it, know. it could be, though. The premise is to kind of help you see in your career. But if you then think, again, because it's so analogous, that you think, well, it's the same at home, too, as well. And so be it. But I think that's so. What, what yeah. when you talk like red flags? Like, give us some red flags then. What that you have to look for in dating or in well, the well, I don't know <laughs> dating, like work. What you know? What what yeah. red flags are we kind of talking about? I think in both. You look at interviews now, and they're still very weighted towards the employer sat there grilling the candidate. Mm. And no, I think advice for candidates before you start interview, just say to them, right, this is an hour long. How long will I have to ask my questions? Because you always find that it kind of dovetails the end of it you've got five minutes right now ask us all you want to know in five minutes it's like well that's not enough same in dating you wouldn't go on a date with someone and just basically let her grill you for five minutes then go i really like you <laughs> i've got five minutes to, to, you know, to ask you about you now <laughs> yeah it's it so true isn't yeah it, it is yeah, like yeah when yeah. you think about like an interview and a and i never thought about this before until we had our chat before but when you think about a date and an interview 
it's so similar isn't it similar emotions as well like a little bit nervous yet interested to know more about them like you're sussing out from that person or the company Mm -hmm. whether you want to spend like your almost your next few years with them your life with them to progress and there's just so yeah so many similarities and also people some people's mannerisms how they operate as well some people don't like being alone so they crave the first bit of attention that they get i.e the first partner that's perhaps not right for them or the first employer that they perhaps see red flags but they can't see past their own desire to be wanted so of course they think right well i don't want to be lonely i'll be out of work so i'll take the first partner the first job that comes along which in reality probably will damage my mental health and my career prospects but i just had that desire and need to be wanted from anybody where it's a case of right now set back evaluate what's on offer here you know have they you know got baggage that's perhaps non-negotiable that you can't deal with the company itself there are they walking with a flag i've always said like you know i put a post about a week ago about better questions to ask interview things around csr esg you know values the mission statement if you're asking a manager of a company's been there for six years what's your mission statement what's your esg's um you know target this year or what's your long-term plan they can't answer that that's a red flag because they're not invested in the company the company's not engaging their employees and that should be not just you know kind of dressed down on fridays or can i you know how much holiday do i get it's things that are really important to you as an employee because you're like i said you're there i think it works out to be three-fifths of the week or the hours that you work generally or it's some sort of yeah it's quite a long time that you're in the business if you're working full-time so why do you want to work somewhere that's mundane, mediocre, and just doesn't really satisfy your needs? Mm. I think interviewers like it as well when they, when especially part of the interviews I've been a part of or companies where I've asked questions, they actually like it if you can ask questions and show that you're interested. Whereas if you're like, nope, there's nothing I need to know. Yeah, it kind of takes the focus off them though, doesn't it? Yeah, but there, there must be things that you want to know. Like you say, the values do you watch your working from home there's so many questions that you can ask nowadays about when you're going into an interview mm. it's just it's so important to make sure that it's right for you not just them I, th- yeah. I think i think the problem that most companies have is that the people that are doing the interviews don't know the some of the topics that you're talking about and i think it would be alarming that if you went in as a candidate and you were asking those kind of questions I'd love to see the statistics of people that go, oh, I don't know, I'll get, I'll get back to you on that. Mm. And it's like, well, what, what am I going to join here to do? Like, am I just another number or are we trying to achieve something? There's so many companies have these taglines about, you know, we're trying to achieve something or whatever it is. Yeah. And they don't, they don't buy into it. It's all, it's all just public yeah. commercial nonsense. Like, yeah. I was reading something about um, the relate the relation of the two. So on dating apps and stuff, your photo is has got a filter on it, and then when they appear for the interview, it's it's not really you don't really look like that. And it's the mm. same with like your CV. Lots of people, what you're saying, like they'll write things on their CV, and then when it actually comes to the interview, it's like ah, you actually that. don't do <laughs> same that. Yeah, same with companies though; they'll put a filter on their yeah on their statement. job ads and stuff. And I said the problem is now that a lot of recruiters will get a JD that's been crafted in 2009. It's probably had three different managers since then that have owned that JD. They haven't touched it, haven't looked at it. The recruiter's not challenged it and said, do you really need that? Why do you require eight years of that? We all know that tenure does not lead to actual experience because you could be eight years in one company and learn nothing more than what your job is. You could have spent eight years in five companies and learnt more. So you shouldn't then put an onus on tenure. Mm. It's about quality. So no one's challenging that. Equally as well, they're not setting up interviews for the purpose of the candidate, i.e., you know, if it's more of a developer. You probably would ask me more, you know, those in the details. 
you know, whereas it's like a, a role for, say, business development, they don't doctor or amend the actual questions to the role. It's, it's always, just templated scripts. It's always, here's our company interview policy template yeah. and ask, you know, give them that time you've done this. And it's very situational, which is great for some people, but not all people. I think also questions need to be amended per candidate you interview. So if you're having an interview with three people, they've all got different backgrounds, different industry experience, different skill sets that perhaps are stronger than others. But asking the same question each of them, you think it's fair? It really isn't because someone that's, you know, we've been asked for like in 10 years of recruitment, how do you source candidates? I'm like, really? Like, I've done it for 10 years. Like, I've forgotten what I know about sourcing. <laughs> Ask me about what I know about, you know, our corporate branding, um, you know, our EVP. That's more pertinent to what my role is. So I've had it myself personally. You get asked the most mundane, almost junior questions based on your role. And again, that shows that the lack of interest in the company to actually formulate proper answers, mm. actually invest into you as a person, learn more about you. So I think it's just, it is lackadaisical. That's the way to describe it. I've, I've it's never, a different yeah. perspective because yeah. <laughs> we, we always say that you need to like so have, I don't, or I don't know, but it's a different perspective in saying that you ask different candidates different questions because how do you make it fair? If you're asking everybody different things, True. I get it. Like if you're, you know, you're, you're adapting to the candidate, but mm. if you're asking, I guess maybe the, the value behind the question remains the same to get the same output. But if you're asking 10 candidates, 10 different questions, how do you make the interview process fair? It's about the answer you get from the candidate and how they come across. So you wouldn't perhaps, you'd ask obviously stock questions regardless. So you may have say five that are going to be for every candidate. So these five will be asked to every candidate. Then look at John's CV. He's got more experience in that area here. Look at Jane's CV. She's done more than that. And it's a case of, well, we all know people line CVs. So let's delve into Jane's experience in SQL Server and ask her about that. Let's delve into John's experience in, you know, um, you know, MongoDB. Like, and just and it's a case of then what do they truly know? Because we can all sit there and fabricate achievements on our CVs, skill sets, knowledge. But it's then a case of right, how does that then relate to what we need in also our problem space? Because they ask questions that are so wishy washy. It's like, well, no, what's our problem space? Why is the role being hired for? And what do you truly need to know that candidate will bring to then fix that problem or that project? Mm. Yeah, I, I, get I, that. I guess what I take away from that is rather than what you'd say is almost like, don't give them a situational test, like probe into how they answer something. And then it's like, right, that is a tick box as opposed to here's a PowerPoint, go and create this presentation for me and show what you do. Like certain aspects to people's history almost tick that box. Mm. You know, if someone's worked in sales for 20 years, they obviously know how to pitch. You don't need evidence of it. But what you should be doing is gleaning more insight about how they would do X, Y, and Z going forwards. I think that mm. I, I kind of get the perspective of what you're saying, but also what you're saying around how do you, how do you truly monitor like three different people if you're all asking different questions but i guess if you if you do what you're saying like you have a mix you have like your your structured yeah. i guess like your core company values that you're yeah. rating against and then you adapt on on the person's experience because you get a hiring manager with 15 interviews they are literally just cv after cv interview after interview they're not really paying attention to their experience and stuff mm. so i think it yeah, it makes them be a bit more focused. It's an education piece. Super managers too, they too often just turn up, haven't looked at a CV for 10 seconds and been like, right, I know they do this role, this job title. Let's just kind of go over it. And it's a case of recruiters then partnering just saying, right, I picked John because of this. This is their background. This is what I feel you should probe on more. 
I picked Jane because of X, Y, Z. This is what I thought you should focus on based on your needs. And it's down to, it's not just the managers, it's recruiters too, to be actual partnering with the hiring managers to educate them as well. We're building um, our company now, right now, an internal manager training guide. And it's been so well received because no one's ever had it before. It's just a case of like, here's your candidates, interview them. It's like, so what do you do on the weekends? Or, you know, how do you handle, you know, a difficult environment? How do you handle a deadline on a project that's been moved forward? And they're just, again, like, I find they're quite empty or soulless questions. And you, I think you can ask, like, one of the middle ones about values, ethics, behaviours. Because, again, it, it, it's a fair question to ask. When you get into the nitty-gritty of the role itself, then, how someone performs, people don't always give the best answer, like, you know, give me time, you've done this. I recommend using like the Carl technique over the star technique. It's a lot more concise, but someone perhaps might struggle to give you a definitive answer to how they get to a certain place, but talking about how they know that product or how they delivered it directly is a stronger answer than saying, give me time that you've done this. You're then marking them out of five based on how they structured the answer on the star approach. It's like, okay, so the answer wasn't well-structured, but as you said, right, talk me through how you would do this. It's a lot more... I guess open interpretation gives them more freedom. Whereas you try and pitch on to a star answer, some are good at it and can basically get an answer in 90 seconds or, or a minute. Second, you start basically giving them more freedom to answer. Yes, you're going to risk of waffling, but equally you let them basically be themselves. That's what I found in myself. Do you, controversial opinion, but I'm interested here, like your both thoughts on it. Do you think the CV is like the be all and end all? Because everyone, and I know you've obviously got experience around like supporting people to get like the best out of their CV and making sure the content is good. But everyone harps on about a CV, like it's mandatory, like your skills are assessed by it. Your your whole application is assessed by this one document that you enter. But as you're saying, like some people can articulate themselves great in a video form. They can't put the words down on paper but they might be able to create like this amazing video and show their creativity and their background. I don't know. I just feel like you're, you're like the CV refer- is you're just... referencing Diary of a CEO, which like Stephen Bartlett did a video recently where he's like, "We're hiring for this role." Rather than send me your CV or say how amazing you are, this is the kind of person I'm looking for. Showcase that to me, and he and he's like, you know, just looking at it from a new perspective. And I think that's where you're going with it as opposed to CV gets passed through the ATS. Here's the skills. Here's the, the match score. And that, yeah, I just, I just, it's such an old traditional way of applying to a job, isn't it? You just give your CV and a cover letter and a cover letter. They'll look at your job, look at your history. And then it's decided from this piece of paper, if you're going to be good enough for the role or not, obviously Mm. you go for the interview and everything, but yeah, I th- I just think with the whole world of like social media coming up, LinkedIn, TikTok, all these cool ways of being able to apply. I don't know. What but, do you guys think? But look at dating though. Look at dating. Look at Bumble. Look at Tinder. Yeah. Same premise, isn't it? Really, it's just digital because you literally have on there again things like how tall you are. Side note: Why are so many women tall now? Literally. <laughs> I've, you know, I've recently back in the market and. um yeah, you're either five foot one, five foot two, or you're five foot ten, eleven. It's scary, <laughs> but um, at least women on. I think it's known that men over exaggerate their height on dating apps, and women will be honest on on the app. So at least, oh, is that is that a fact? Yeah. I mean, so at least yeah, you'll. Um, I mean, I'm five ten on a good day in the right light, the right humidity, and the right haircut. <laughs> so, um, but I think you look at the the similarities again there. Like, 
dating kind of should have evolved and it kind of has a certain elements like video dating but generally look at a bumble profile it's the same thing isn't it it's the person it's attributes and your skills are like you know your knowledge of sql server or you know product management and it's like your age your interests again they're very similar they haven't really evolved like mm. da vinci was the first person to basically create a cv um when he was done with his project he'd side hustle and just put out his what you can do this is going back what 500 years now it's, I can't remember the exact date, but is see, it? we're still using something that's 500 but, years yeah, but, old. Yeah. <laughs> what Da Vinci was the first person to create a CV. Yeah, so basically, aside from doing his projects, he was doing he used to do things on the side as well, and he would just write down what he was offering services. So yeah, if you Google it, Da Vinci was the first known person to basically construct a CV. Did you know that? I did not know okay. that. I have to every, Google that afterwards. Knowledge, knowledge book. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, in in what 500 years it hasn't changed, and why is that? Because the problem you're going to get is your idea is great in terms of making it, but then how is it fair for all? Because the paper itself there, if you take away the photo, and that's why companies now have started doing like, you know, blind CVs, i.e. it's like John Smith's now Blue Monkey, Jane Smith's now Red, Red Tangerine, like to kind of remove any names on there to make it fair. Mm. I still think that it's right now the most fair way to apply to a job, but it's about the person focusing on what they can bring. The problem you've got is, and I've said it before, like your CV is one of the most important documents you'll ever need in your life. It dictates, you know, where you end up in your career, which then dictates how much you earn, the car you drive, the house you live in, where you holiday, what your kids do as hobbies, what you do as hobbies. And it's it's this vessel that people don't really put that much attention into. And some of them literally have, like I said, less writing on them than a tin of baked beans. Some rather war and peace. But it's like... Right now, that is what it is. That's the current sort of barometer of how we measure talent and skill. So why not put an effort into it and don't half ass it? You know, I've been in recruitment 10 years now. I can sniff a generic cover letter from a mile off. I know you've not told me why you want to come to the company or what the role means to you. I can tell you a mile off. And the CV as well, I can tell that you literally fudged it. People always copy their JD and put it on their job as their job title. Well done for you. You do what everyone else does in your role. <laughs> Congratulations. I didn't even know to do that, to yeah. be fair. But, but I'm definitely stealing that if yeah. I'm looking for a job. That's it, but that's it. It's like, you're, that's what you're paid to do. Well done, good for you. You're now on par of everyone else. Why are you different? What's your added value? Your achievements? What makes you the best person in what you do? And that's not arrogance, that's just confidence. But I need to see that. And like I said earlier, recruiters want to get you the job. But understand that our credibility rests on your CV. So we're going to managers saying... Here are five CVs. I know they're golden because you wanted X, Y, and Z. They've got X, Y, and Z, and I know you want to see them. And then you go, Dom, right, four out of five are great. Get them in. I have gained trust from my manager's credibility, but I can't go there with a bang average CV because I'll just get laughed out. And then, of course, I'll lose trust. And as the saying goes, don't have champagne ambitions and a lemonade work ethic. You know, don't give a champagne jobs and a lemonade salary. It's not going to work out. So... People often moan, what's the next step? Well, no one really knows because it's got to use up a CV and be fair for all. In the current climate, you have to consider extroverts, introverts, people that perhaps don't like being in front of the camera, people that perhaps can't articulate answers, you know, in word, in, written, in verbal format rather than written. You know, it's a constant mindful, isn't it, of having to make sure we basically cater for everyone, whereas a CV is basically a white bit of paper with black writing. It removes any kind of, you know, race, gender, bias generally, or you can do, and focuses on basically what's important, the job title, what they've achieved. That's kind of the premise of it, isn't it? And if you work on that, you'll do well. But people moan that life's not fair, recruiters are screwing them over, the ATS is screwing them over. 
I've got a fact for you. 99.9% of the time on an ATS, it's me rejecting you because you're crap. Very bluntly. <laughs> but that, that's the that's the, that's the truth. I'm not going to sit here and basically, you know, pat it back and say, there, there, it's okay. It's your fault because you're not conveying yourself why you're good enough. You're not related to what you do to the raw requirements. So what do you expect? For someone, though, that doesn't have self-confidence and they're, I think women are quite, known to do this they're not one to like brag about their achievements on their CV they're more humble aren't they? they're a bit more humble mm. aren't they I could even speak for myself I would never like to talk about the things that I've achieved and if, I'd rather talk about you than other people where does someone start like that that doesn't have self-confidence where you're saying like all you need to do on your CV I want to hear about what you've done and your achievements and who are you if you don't have that self-belief in yourself but you are looking for a new job where do you start with your CV You've got to see going back to dating, what you bring to the table. And I mean it respectfully. You can't sit there and be all humble and be like, oh, I'm a nice project manager. I do a good job. Good for you. Well done. Like, I mean that in an unpatronizing way, but I need to know if I'm going to invest time, effort, and money into you, what are you bringing to the table? Because equally, you want for me a stable career, a good income, career prospects. From you, I want someone that's going to be credible, that's good at their job, and I can sit there and shout about you. But I'd always say as well, anyone that's got a CV now, keep it live because it's much harder to sit there and dwell upon what you've done than to live in the moment. And if you've done a really good project where you haven't got to sit there and say that it was me that kept the company afloat by putting this project in place, <laughs> you haven't got to go to those depths of it, but you've got to kind of show what it is that made you as good as what you are. And it's mm -hmm. finding again that desire, that passion for why you are good. If you ask someone why they're good at netball and they play it in their spare time, they know they're good because they, they've got a good eye for targets or they, you know, they've got a good past. Like they'll point out why they're good at it because they're passionate about it. And you have to kind of take a bit of pride and passion in yourself and your career and what you do to really focus on what it is that you do that makes you good. And it's not arrogance. It's just confidence. It's having belief in yourself because, like I said, if you just put on there your project manager and you've got an idea of certain projects you've worked on, you're doing what everyone else does and you won't stand out. You might do if you worked at certain companies or you've got a certain degree in a certain university, but generally it won't. And that's just the harsh reality of it, unfortunately, is that, you know, I had my own company for writing CVs and I used to put, you know, making you a peacock amongst chickens, which was tagline, <laughs> which then someone got upset about because supposedly it was with genders and peacocks that are male that are blue and I wasn't being catering to the female. Basically, yeah, so what ha, was so innocent as being a blue peacock and a brown chicken became a massive thing about gender. But there you go. The yeah. point the point is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so dangerous to make opinions here, but I think that's where certain topics like are just ridiculous. Like you've not gone out there and purposely made an offensive targeting. tagline. I mean, we all know that a peacock rules the roost, right? Yeah. So you're wanting someone to come out and make their CV stand out. I mean, uh, if people are offended by that, then they're listening to the wrong podcast. So yeah. yeah. If, if you are, then um, yeah, I don't apologise. But, good um <laughs> i don't think you should have to either like you know it's not like you're yeah people choose to be offended no one sets out to offend people they come out with their own opinion it's people's choice to be offended by what people say so the the, the premise was to kind of go like you said there and say be bright and blue against the sea of brown and white and black chickens that was the premise behind it if that's how you got to see it you're my kind of customer if you then get offended and related to gender that's cool you know not your, not your target audience so but yeah back to your point i think it's just a case of you have to have confidence in yourself and if you can't get it in yourself ask your colleagues what makes me a good colleague how do i deliver you know and think about it. you've been sat in your same role for two years now if you were shit you'd have been sacked by now you know <laughs> you'd have been long gone so 
what is it that keeps you at your job that you're good at so and yeah top, top tip always have a cv live always update it anything you do keep it live because you never know when tomorrow you might get an email about your dream company that you want to work at do you have a cv and it's like oh it's not been updated since 2009 it's like okay good so luck true so, so good, isn't it? So I'm d- I've taken a couple of tips away, but you've just mentioned Dream Company, and mm. this is on video. But for those that can't see, Dom's sporting a Gymshark shirt, which it's a if, very nice T-shirt. Which if you if you don't know, Dom got invited into Gymshark. So tell us about tell us about that switching gears a little bit. And you went to their office, right? Yeah, it was um, yeah, lovely offices. So I guess yeah, how it came about, I went for a bit of a weight loss journey. Still a big lad now, um, you know. I think I've lost about four stone, which... Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. Gee, in what, what space of time are we talking? About a year. I could have lost it faster, but wow. I think it's a case of like, it was just doing it at my own pace where I was comfortable. But, you know, it's still four stone. I always joke and say that it's kind of like throwing a deck chair from the Titanic. Um, it doesn't weight loss. <laughs> I, don't, I think that's a bit unfair, Dom. Yeah. Like, that's ridiculous. But, but, but what, what what triggered that? What what made you start that? Last year, I was, um, was really unwell. I had gastroenteritis. I was then diagnosed with gout and inflamed liver. And wasn't taking care of myself, just working two jobs at the time and just burning the candle at both ends. And my daughter was four and I was like, my mum died when I was 19. I was like, I don't want to have my daughter growing up without a father or me being that in world that I can't play with my daughter or at least enjoy life with my daughter. And just, I would do any kind of sports, get up and couldn't walk the next day because of the gout. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, literally I've been, I'm doing well in my career, but my health is shit. I don't take care of myself. And it was just things about just blase, you grab a, a Ginsters pasty. Um, you know, this isn't a plug for any sponsors. Bloody <laughs> love be. a pasty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it just, was just grab on the go. Just for, And I was like, I'm killing myself. And worked with a PT, a guy called Paul Inglesos, who, again, it's a plug for him because he's amazing. Shout out, shout out. Shout out, Paul, yeah. Um, <laughs> honestly, he's, I'm the most stubborn person with food. Like, I, can, I trained before, but you wouldn't know because, of course, my motto was that you can tell that I lift heavy shit, but I don't turn down pizza. That was like my tagline. <laughs> you, you changed that. You changed that. You said get lighter and lift heavier shit, but I like this yeah. one even yeah. better. Yeah. This yes. one's great. Anything related to pizza is good. <laughs> <laughs> lift heavy shit, can't turn down pizza. That, and that was it. So I think he put a mindset in me and it actually from that had a much more better impact on my career. I was less tired. I was more focused. I had more energy. You know, I was generally happier at work. So everyone that kind of focused on mental health quite a lot at work is still key but also physical health still i think one that's kind of gone under the radar mm. but you know lost a lot of weight and i you know was a big fan of their gear i loved them as a brand how they promote themselves and just you know what they do for their customers and their, their branding and could never fit into their clothes it was you know we'll go and try it on it was like being catapulted into it you know <laughs> i put on a t-shirt like, like sausages you know with the old uh it was <laughs> you know but and of course that's disheartening because you know you want to wear nice clothes and i was always quite fashion conscious and that's when, my, when I was like years ago, had so many trainers because they used to always fit. You know, they'd never kind of change in size, but clothes yeah, yeah. would. And yeah, I think I bought some of their clothes and it was a good fit. And I was, you know, training down the gym and I just put, I was like, I feel much better now. And my brother sent me a picture of me at a wedding where I had, first of all, no beard, which I'm not going to go back to because it's horrendous. Okay. Right? <laughs> uh, and just, I looked a lot more healthier and happy. He goes, look, I put that on LinkedIn was like, you know, this is kind of why it's important to take care of yourself. And I just tagged in Gymshark. People go, oh, it was a beg. It wasn't a beg. It was just like, you know. People said that. Yeah. They're like, oh, it's a beg. And I was like, and? If it was, I don't care. Like, what I'm making them aware about, you know, how good their products are. People need to be told how good they are. People always slate companies and people 
when someone does good, tell them they're doing good. Like, what's wrong with that? Mm. So tagged them. I know a couple of guys there already from just being a LinkedIn like, flirt and just adding people. A LinkedIn uh, flirt. I like that. I like that. This is a tip as well. Like, you choose your top 10 companies you want to work at and just start adding people there. You know, it's not weird. It's just, you know, it is weird if you just basically say, like, accept me. <laughs> you know, in, in your sort of like, um, in your, um, you know, invite note, but just, yeah. Figure out your top 10 companies and add people there. Add your, you know, direct people that you work in your department of finance, accountancy, the talent team, HR, and add people. And because they saw that, he was like, yeah, want you to come down. Um, we, you know, we'll show you around the offices. We'll give you some merch. And I went there for the day and went, had a workout in the lifting club, which was like insane. It was like, so I've been to Gold's Gym in LA, which is yeah, like, yeah. like the Mecca. Um, and it was literally on par with that. It was just obviously more oh, wow. modern. Um, but yeah, it was incredible. Got given a swag bag. Got, um, oh, I love yeah. a swag bag. I'd love so, yeah. to get a swag bag from Yeah, them. yeah. 100%. It was good. Just got hoodie, shorts, t-shirt, the whole, like all kitted out. Had lunch there, met the social team, saw how they make their garments and just got to understand them as a company from like the ground up and how they started, what they, they're about now, their values. And like one thing, one of theirs is don't be a dickhead. Which sounds so. That's one of their values. Yeah, yeah it is, it is. isn't it? I remember I him, ben, ben, Ben Francis, Francis being yeah. on a podcast yeah. talking about it. But it's it's so true, and it's just so it's flippant, but it's great because you wouldn't see, you know, Morgan Chase going, "Don't be a knob," <laughs> you know, blazing across there. Sort of <laughs> Maybe like, they'd get a bigger talent pool if they did. Yeah, or you know, or see someone like you know, um, you know, Wells Fargo, "Don't be a bellend, son." Like it's just <laughs> so. I think it kind of fits the brand and how they are, and that's kind of what resonated with me. But no, um, got obviously all the free gear and now as well, I used to buy a lot of Nike clothes because Nike did obviously, you know, bigger sizes and slowly my wardrobe's now become more and more Gymshock um, and less and less Nike. So even then, because of how they treat their candidates, customers, people, subconsciously now I literally more loyal to their brand. Yeah. So... Yeah, that's how it works out. So now I'm just wearing free swag. So if anyone else is watching yeah, this, yeah, I'm, I'm like, yeah. I'm going to be begging all the golf companies out there, like everyone. Oh, no, the Hiring Chronicles <laughs> is going to be turning into a begging Sponsored office. Sponsored by Titleist. You won't even know who that is. So you, 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 talk, you talked about like dream companies. You probably got like a bit of a top 10. Mm. You don't have to give us the full list of your top 10, but mm. what are, what are companies doing well that you, that you like, that you think, yeah, that that's it that's a great brand but not just because of who they are but everything that they that you're seeing both what you know internally about how they operate and externally i think how they treat customers is a big one because it's the same how you treat candidates and i think roger media did a sort of poll on how how they treated customers led to how they or candidates had a minute how they lost customers some sort of graph where if they had a bad experience as a, as a candidate they then left their services with virgin media yeah it's, some, it's published somewhere. It's worth looking yeah, at. Yeah, so I think, yeah. Graham, Graham Johnson uh, produced that. That's it. So I think that's quite key. But also how they, you know, things important to people now, D&I, ESG, CSR, also how they conduct themselves, even things about their content, how they post it, also their benefits. So like, you know, I'll say it now, I'm not embarrassed to admit it, Nando's, you know, yes, I, I do like a bit of peri-peri. Who doesn't? <laughs> Wait, <laughs> what flavour do you have? I need to know. Always go extra hot. Extra like, hot? Yeah, started years ago at medium. And you've got to work up to it. Oh, I'm and a medium you, at the moment. I don't fine. think I can get to it. No, it's respectful. <laughs> like, you know, years ago, I had, had a date with someone, went there, and she got plain, and I was like, it's over. Oh, it's no. Over. Let's, go, let's just go KFC. Why are we here getting plain chicken? <laughs> like, it's like someone going to, like, the biggest ice cream shop in the world with loads of different flavours, and they vanilla. get vanilla. 
Yeah. Vanilla's a top flavour, to be fair. It is a good it's, you know, it's, it's like going to Macadese and getting a salad, isn't it? Just don't do it. So, <laughs> I didn't um, even know they did salads. <laughs> yeah. It's like, salad. Yeah, it's, it's like there's a salt, isn't it, as well, bizarrely. But there you go. Oh. Um, so, yeah, extra hot with extra hot sauce as well. So what's your go-to Nando's order then while we're talking about it? Um, mine would probably be a medium chicken thigh with some garlic bread. And, and I do quite like the broccoli. I do always wow. get the broccoli there. I'm just going to break the mold and say I, I'm not a Nando's fan. Sorry, what? I know. It's controversial, but shout out to Nando's. I just, um, the experiences I've had, and it all, like you say, it all goes down to experiences. Every time I've eaten in a Nando's, I have terrible service. And I've just gone, do you know what? For just eating some chicken. <sighs> So Nando's is not in your top 10 then? It's not in my top 10, <laughs> but it do, it's so relatable to what you're saying and what you're saying about Virgin, you know, because because of that experience, I would never consider, I mean, one, I'm not in that industry, but I wouldn't consider Nando's for that reason. It's just what you subconsciously connect between yeah. the experiences you have, I think. And also yeah. how they empower the employees to be on socials. Like Nando's, again, they talk about how they get sabbaticals for links and service and they champion that. They take the teams away to like, you know, to where it all started, like, you know, in South Africa and actually where it started and they do events there and the team, like your, your employees, your biggest promoters about the brand. And if they're actually engaged and enthused and actually enjoy what they do, then you, you know, you can reduce your cost to spend on, you know, EVP and employer branding because your staff do it for you. Right. It's like Gymshark. You always see them outside their building, the iconic sort of like yeah. race steps there and everyone's out there on their first day or on, you know, and I was there, I was like, can I get a picture, please? And they're like, sure. And I was like, I'm not going to post that. I feel really self-conscious now. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like, it's iconic moments, isn't it? And like, you know. Um, so are you saying at Nando's, they get a sabbatical where they go to Africa? Uh, no, they just get one in general, but it's, they actually are really, really good sabbaticals. But like the TA team there, they're always going to events. They actually like host a lot of events. So they give back quite a lot. So I think it's, it's more about what they do aside from their day jobs. Right. As a business too. So recently where I work now, we went to a um, event called 2020 Levels like young students that were kind of like um and did workshops there so i think it's it's that was our first time doing it for a while because we had capacity and space and we weren't basically being reactive we were proactive to kind of so to me a good employer will basically champion you know d and i they'll talk about the the esg and, and csr they'll care a lot about their employees how they treat them well-being because it's and also how the environment they create because look at things like Glassdoor. look at linkedin if you go to linkedin on company's page there it's got the average tenure of the employees. Mm-hmm. So I think where I work now is 5.9 years. So that's a good news story. That's, that's, that's quite really long. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to start seeing more of that from companies. Because like, I think we touched on it earlier, job adverts are like, again, a little bit archaic. But I'd love to start seeing like content of if you were applying for a job around like, these are the cool events that we do. And this is like our team days. And You just don't get it. No, I just don't. I mean, maybe again, it's the type of person and the type of role. But for me, I think I'd be like, oh, my God, that's really cool. I'd love to like see, you know, be, I don't know, some companies do like a day where you can go and volunteer. And Mm. there's all these cool initiatives that I don't think you really hear about. It's all about the job. It's it's on the career site. But then once you become onto the job description, it's like what you say. It's just like the templated stuff. You just forget about it. You forget everything that's on the career site. There's nothing on on that process. Once you click into the job, it's all lost, isn't it? And yeah. I think also as well, it's being aware of what you're putting out. So in between Klan and my new job, did a little bit of consulting work. And I did an employer branding audit at an e-commerce company. 
Like we have a problem basically getting more you know diversity in our in our in our um our teams. And I watched their video on what life is like at their company, and they're based in I think Richmond, and the video literally was mid thirties white females for the first one minute. I was like, there's your target audience. That's what you're attracting. This is the problem you have there. So you're literally portraying this is what we employ. Yep. So I was like, that's the problems that you create. So it's about yeah having you know diversity inclusion. It's about being aware of how you promote yourself, the things that you say, the things that you subconsciously say universally as well. And that's kind of, again, a really important point there is being aware of how you come across. And that was a bit, we had no idea. And I was like, well, of course, because you don't really notice that. But as a candidate, that's when I was applying because literally unless I'm a white female in mid-30s, and again, it's about the whole thing about, it's not about culture fit, it's culture add or culture blend. And that's a big thing that people do now. They always talk about culture fit. And it's like, Yes, because you want the same person that's like your other five employees. That will add no value to your business, really. But adding culture, you know, add is like someone from a different industry, different background, mm-hmm. culture blend. Like, that's what should be the main focus now, and it still isn't. And where do you think the uh, – uh, it's not a blaming question, but a little bit of blame. These things aren't happening. Like, we're, we're not seeing the real story about what it's like to work at a company – the the interview process doesn't reflect the right kinds of questioning but somebody that's leading ta like the head of ta is it solely down to them to be driving all of these things and making those changes or do you need a blend of other people and how do you get them involved because we often see in our world like it and ta they they talk to each other but they're not best mates and then hr dealing with other areas of performance management and learning and pathways and all that kind of stuff and then you've got ta and recruitment it's like who needs to be driving all of this to make these changes to to, to give a better candidate experience everyone's accountable in the business regardless of where you sit because you know i've always said and my goal where i'm now is to have more people posting more on linkedin even just sharing jobs, sharing about their story, their experiences. TA driver, because we're the ones there, we're generally the face of the business. When you apply to a job, we're the first people you talk to, generally. Mm-hmm. Unless you reach out to a manager or someone. Equally, C-suite management, what are they posting? Are they engaging? It's it's basically starts from the ground up. And you have to basically have an engaged workforce because often i found in past companies, people don't post or engage or promote. They don't understand. They're scared. And it's about giving staff the transparency in what we do, how we do it, the autonomy to go and do it themselves and the trust to do it. So it's like, right, you know, you're in a safe environment here. Go talk about what we do, how we do it. Share your story, share your good news. My team now, like my TA team is half of them are internal moves. So I'm a big advocate of internal mobility. No one talks about that. So it's about going and sharing your story. Promote what it is that's great to work where you work. Once again, everyone always focuses on bad things. No one talks about the good things. Mm. It's almost seen as like a brag. It's not a brag. It's just, you know, bad news always makes the press, doesn't it? Whereas yeah. that's probably the good things, you know, the good news success stories about promotions. Let's talk about, you know, events we've attended. The problem that you have is it's just people are scared to post on socials because of fear of, you know, lack of content, lack of engagement or just a negative comment. But I think as a business, everyone's accountable for how they promote the business and how they drive people's interest and actually paint that picture of what it's like to work there mm. and and just a little bit topical and it's it's probably been heard many times but on the underground today where the, you get like the uh the banner where it's like quote of the day they start doing on the underground i know you've seen it but there was one that i've heard it many times but it's like people will forget what you said forget what you did 
but they'll remember the way you make them feel. And if you've got like a collection of people that are promoting these different things that when they watch that kind of content, it makes them feel a certain way. If they read certain things that resonate with them, Mm. you just feel like more of an affiliation to that brand, to that company. It's going to impact your tenure, your retention, all that Mm. sort of stuff. So So true. Little things too, even like onboarding. Onboarding starts the day they apply, not the day they start in the company. Even things around like acknowledgement, you apply to a job. You know, we've recently changed ours to be a lot more, you know, thank you for applying. We really appreciate it. We know that you've got a lot of choice out there right now in the market, but we appreciate you choosing us. You know, here's the process. Here's the timeframes. Here's our social, more informative rather than just thanks for applying. Don't hear in two weeks. Best of British to you, you know. Mm. I think little tweaks here and there around the engagement piece will make people more fans of your company and will basically come back. Again, it's the whole candidate, isn't it? And client sort of basis, isn't it? Or customer basis. That's what it is. So it's little things around things like onboarding, engagement, EVP, the little things that we don't really talk about or promote that are so simplistic and kind of like cost effective to kind of change and mold. No one really does it. I like that. Like even the slight change of the language of where you're saying, thank you for applying. We really appreciate your application. Like it just feels a bit more warmer than thank you for applying. We'll will be in touch if you're successful like yeah. it's just the the language that it can be a small tweak that you can make that will make a huge difference i think yeah the, there's a lot from today's episode because we're, we're unfortunately at the end of our time but there's a lot from today's episode that i've not really considered in depth before meeting you and that's genuine i'm not uh blowing smoke because you're sat in front of me but like i've, I've not i've not thought about the things that you've talked about today and considered an alternative. So um, I think we should definitely get Dom back on like a, a top tips from Dom session, like a follow-up would be a good idea. That would be really good. Before we do wrap up though, I do have a question. If you had a magic wand to make or create or change something within your world, within the TA world, whatever it may be, could be health and fitness, whatever it may be, what would you do? You had a magic wand, you could have one thing. Convert David to Nando's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, uh, it's, that's I think that's, that's even out of reach. I think from a personal point of view, I would just, I think everyone's always wiser after the incident to kind of go to new, know what I know now. At, you know, 19, I'd be a lot more advanced in my career where, than I am now. A lot more wiser, made less mistakes. I think just hindsight's a great thing isn't it mm. so i think just having the hindsight and having the knowledge that i have now before um yeah before I, I started out in my career in recruitment terms i think it's just yeah i think i just wish everybody knew what an ats did because the amount of people that just sit there about the ats it's a big monster it's a robot that just grinds my gears and every day just yeah you constantly battle career coaches and influencers as i call them that try and educate people <laughs> what an, AT- an ats does and it's just yeah like I've been in 10 years. I've seen up ATS platforms. I'm telling you that it's us that's rejecting you. They're telling you it's robots. It's not robots, man. So that's one thing <laughs> I wish I could basically just make that, disperse that myth across everywhere. I could I'd buy a banner in Times Square and be like, ATS robots don't <laughs> exist. Maybe, maybe that can also be built into a, a Dom revisit where we talk about what the ATS does and is. Yeah, I'd love to. Now my brain's ticking even more, but yeah. Dom, thank you so much for coming on. Like David said, we have got 
So my head is like all, all over the place thinking about all these new ideas and stuff that we can start bringing in. So thank you so much for sharing your story and for sharing others as well. Great. Thank you for having me. Really enjoyed it. Thanks, mate. Thank you. Cheers, Cheers guys. <laughs>